0: Hey, Merry Christmas. Okay, maybe after you open gifts, you'll be a little more excited than that. But I I thought the bumper is kind of intriguing. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, You have an event, a moment that is witnessed by two different people. And in that moment, they have two completely different responses to what they've seen. And those responses take them in two completely different directions. And one of them ends up at a place where they have found answers and resolve, and the other one is led to a place that only brings more confusion and frustration. It's not unlike the Christmas story that you and I are going to unpack tonight. It's a story about a moment in which everybody saw it, uh, people responded to it wildly different, and their responses took them to vastly different places uh, in their lives. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them real quick. You go with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's a part of the Christmas story that my guess is, if you've been around church any length of time at all, you probably are familiar with this part of the story, but it's not a part of the Christmas story that we often spend much time uh, talking about or dwelling on, and yet it is an incredibly impactful and powerful telling of the Christmas story. And it comes to this point of saying, "How am I going to respond? What am I going to do now that I know what I know? And how is my life going to change now that this has happened? And you and I leave here having to answer those questions just like they did 2,000 years ago. It's it's Matthew chapter 2. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, uh, some of us would call it the story of the three wise men. I call it the tale of two kings. It's Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it's a story uh, that builds upon all sorts of tension and all sorts of drama, and yet I don't know that we always catch that. So here's what, as we go through this time, see if you can pick it up. See if you can start to say, oh, I get it. I get why this was a big deal. I get the problem that the coming of Jesus brought to the world in that moment. So here it is. It's Matthew chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, we call them the wise men, we call them the three kings. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Then King Herod heard this. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all of the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I can come and worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, not to go back to Herod. They returned to their country by another route. Now jump down to verse 16. When Herod realized that, the, that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the three kings, the three wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So you get the moment. Uh, ...this star appears. And this isn't an ordinary star. This is, this is an, a star that you cannot ignore. It's different than the rest of the stars in the sky. And the reality is everybody sees the star. But in the story there are two completely different reactions to the star. Because what everybody knows when they see the star... ...is that a king has come. A king has been born. The magi begin to follow the star... And as they get to Jerusalem, they go to Herod and they say, Herod, where is the king? Because surely you, being a Jew, would have already gone. You would have already worshipped him. Where is he? To which Herod says, well, no, I I didn't know and I hadn't taken notice. And he calls together all of the theologians of the day and they go, yeah, uh, the star means a king has come. And so he says to the wise men, he says, look, here's the deal. You go find the kid. You go find the child. And when you're done, come back and tell me because I I surely would want to go worship him too. You get that that was never Herod's intent. There was never an instant in which it actually crossed his mind to even consider worshiping the new king. Did you get the conflict? A new king has come Herod was already king and here's what Herod instantly knows when you've got two kings You've got one too many And he instantly says This king will never be king of me And he sets out To destroy the king now here's the part's ironic Chances are Herod knows and actually believes that Jesus is Messiah You say well, then how do you come to that? Who did he call into the room and ask about the prophecies about this new king? He called the biblical theologians of the day. And Herod, being a Jew, knew that Messiah was coming. He knew who Jesus was. He just refused to have Jesus be king of him. Because, because, you ready? When you have two kings, you have one king too many. See, here's what Herod's convinced. If Jesus were to ever be king of him... Jesus would probably ruin him. He'd mess up his life. He he wouldn't understand how Herod was wired and the things that Herod needed and and what made Herod happy. And and if Jesus were ever to be king, his life would be a mess, which is absolutely ironic if you know anything about King Herod. Uh, Some of you may not know the history. King Herod actually comes to being king of Judah Through manipulation and intrigue. He has cheated his way into kingship. Shortly after becoming king, he decides that his wife is not supportive enough for him. That she's not going to bring enough political clout to his kingship. So he sends his own wife and his eldest born son into political exile. He then marries a woman that he does not love, but because she brings diplomatic clout to him. Later on, when she begins to be more popular with the people than he is, he sees her paranoiically as a threat to his kingdom and ends up killing his second wife. His three oldest children, his three oldest sons, as they grow to the age of manhood, Herod, believing that each of them is going to try to assassinate him and take his throne away to steal his crown, has all three of his boys killed. Matter of fact, the running joke on the street in Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod, because Herod was a Jew and as a Jew would not eat pork. And so the running joke was it's safer to be a pig in King Herod's house than to be a relative. And you and I would look at his life and go, Herod, are you kidding me? How could Jesus ever make it more of a mess? How could he cause more damage than you caused? How could he cause more heartache and ruin than you've done? How, how is that possible? That he could be any worse being king of you than you've been being king of you. And yet Herod is absolutely convinced that Jesus is dangerous and that Jesus will ruin him if he ever gives Jesus lordship in his life. I watched this video and it's long ago on YouTube. It was an interesting video about a dog. And we'll, we'll just call him Toby. I don't know what his name was, but we'll call him Toby because he looked like a Toby. So you got to picture this. Toby lives kind of about in a rural uh, area. And uh, behind his house is a small lake. And so on this particular day, Toby did what he probably had done dozens of times before in his life. He goes out to the lake. The lake is frozen over, and so he starts walking across the lake. The problem is, what Toby doesn't realize is that it hasn't gone far enough into winter yet, and it hasn't gotten cold enough for the ice to actually become solid. And so as he gets to the middle of the lake, the soft ice gives way, and instantly he's plunged into freezing water. He begins to yelp and to... And to cry out and and bark, and soon people come around and realize that he is in absolute mortal danger. And here's the problem. Every time he goes to crawl up on the ice, the ice is too thin. So all he accomplishes is breaking more ice away and making the hole that he's in that much bigger. Suddenly, a man in the crowd decides he's going to save Toby. So he goes and he gets a paramedic stretcher Lays it on the ground like a sled. He then lays down on the stretcher, ties a rope around his waist, and begins to paddle out to Toby on the ice. Now guys, think about it. This is crazy. Here is a man risking his life to save a dog. The The only story that could be more absurd than that is God paddling into this world to save us. Ironically, as the man got closer and closer to Toby, Toby, suffering from hyperthermia, being disoriented from the cold, believes the man is a threat and in absolute panic begins to paddle away from the man. See, Toby's thinking, man is danger. I've got to get away from the man. So now what he believes is going to bring him freedom and salvation is actually paddling himself toward death. It leaves you and me wanting to say, Toby, if you only knew. It leaves you and me wanting to say to Herod, Herod, if you simply understood that baby born in a manger, that baby who came to be king did not come to ruin you. He came to save you. And the best thing that could ever happen in your life is to be caught by him. It leaves you and me wondering, how many times in our life you and I have run from Jesus because we were pretty sure if Jesus ever caught us, he'd ruin us. There's a second tale of the kings in the story. It's, it's the wise men, it's the three kings, the magi. And you realize that in the instant they see the star, they realize a king has come. And they know exactly what Herod knew in that moment. Anytime you've got two kings, you've got one king too many. And yet the response of the wise men is absolutely different than the response of Herod. Matter of fact, what the Bible tells us is that upon seeing the star, upon realizing the king has come, they began to pursue the king. And Bible scholars tell us that this wasn't an easy journey. Matter of fact, chances are this journey was at least a year to a year and a half in length in which they went after finding this child. You and I have all these little mangers and it's got the wise men or the three kings at the manger. No way. Jesus was already gone. Mary was already gone. Joseph was already gone from Bethlehem by the time the wives are probably back in Nazareth. It's probably Jesus' home they show up at a year later. What's even more interesting is what they do when they find this new king. The Bible says they bowed down to him. It's actually a really unfortunate translation. Because when you and I hear bowed down to him, you and I picture them getting down on their knees and being respectful. The word for bowed down is prostrated themselves. Picture this. These three grown men laid down in the dirt in front of that baby. These three unthinkably educated men, probably the scholars of their day, laid as low as they could possibly low. These three men, who were all rulers in their own right, submitted themselves as low as they could possibly make themselves to say... There is no challenge to your kingship because, because, because. When you have two kings, you have one too many. What made the wise men wise? What made the wise men wise was they knew they needed a savior. See, they were wise enough to have figured out by this point in their life that there were going to be problems in their life that no matter how educated they were, no matter how smart, uh, no matter how much they could manipulate and control, there were things they would never be smart enough to fix in their own strength. They had come to a place of wisdom in their life that they said, hey, there, there's going to be problems that are going to be bigger than us, that that problem is going to be so huge, so beyond any authority or any human capacity that I have, that if I'm relying on me, when that problem comes, I'm going to be in trouble. They were wise enough to understand that they had ill-lived moments in their life, moments that you and I would call sin, and that the only way to repair those moments was a Savior. And the wisdom of the wise men, you ready was to take their crowns and lay them down, so that his crown could reign supreme. Because what they had figured out is that when I'm in charge of me, it's not good for me. That's the wisdom. ...of the wise men. Isn't it true... ...that every one of us in this room... ...faces the struggle of the two crowns? That that every one of us... ...wrestles with who's going to be king of me? And that intuitively within our heart... ...without anybody ever having to say it to us... ...that you and I already know... ...that anytime you have two kings... You have one, too many. I guarantee you, uh, there are Christians in this room tonight. And you've made a decision for Christ. You've, you've already asked him to be your savior. Uh, you just haven't asked him to be your Lord. Because you, like Herod, are pretty convinced if he ever actually got control of you, he would mess you up. He would ruin you. And the reality is, the journey of your Christian life, the tale of your Christian life, is a tale of wrestling. And if we could look at the crown tonight, your fingerprints are all over it because you've been hanging on for all your worth. There are some of us in this room, and, and you've never made that decision for Christ. You're what we'd call pre-Jesus. You're still exploring. You're still trying to figure it out. But if we were just honest, isn't, the, isn't it true that the thing that's got you pausing tonight is not trying to figure out whether or not Jesus was real or whether or not he really came to... You, you're past that. The reason you're hesitating tonight is that you know that if you ever actually came to Christ as Savior, there would be an expectation that crowns would be exchanged. And that your life would be different. And that he would want to be Lord. And you would have to set the crown of your life aside. Because anytime you have two kings, you have one king too many. You get that this only happens this exchange of crowns, this willingness to prostrate ourselves and bow. When you and I finally become wise enough to figure out that as long as I'm in charge of me, it's not good for me. I'm a 15-year-old kid and I'm sitting in the car with my youth pastor and saying, Lynn, do you realize how screwed up your life is? And I'm going, you know, hey, if you consider what people have done to me and if you consider all the wrongness and if you consider how many times God has let me down, I'm actually doing pretty good running my own life. He said, Lynn, you are wounding people, you're hurting people, and you're not even happy. See, sometimes it takes a youth pastor sitting in a car. Sometimes it takes a first divorce Sometimes it takes that child who just goes crazy on you and, and there's nothing you can say and there's no begging that you can do that will bring them back and you watch them go into a life of chaos and suddenly you realize me being in charge of me isn't good for me. Sometimes. Sometimes it's when you lose the job. The the job you've been aiming at all of your life, the job you went to college so that you could get, the job you sacrificed so much of your family for so that you could achieve, and now it's gone. And it wasn't fair, and no one can explain the layoffs. It's just gone. Sometimes it's the doctor shaking his head and saying, we don't know what to do now. We tried everything we know to try. Till you and I get wise enough to realize that me being in charge of me isn't good for me. In the story of Toby, as the man got closer and closer and Toby swam with all of his strength further and further and further away, you began to watch in the video and you began to see Toby losing strength. Uh, You began to see there were moments in which he was going under and he couldn't help himself. And you you could tell him it was only a matter of moments and he was going to succumb to the cold. And if, as if, in a moment of clarity, he suddenly turns and heads back to the, the man. It's almost as if he said, I've tried everything I know how to do. I've worked as hard as I know how to work and it's not working. What do I have to lose? And isn't it true That one of the most powerful things that you and I could do this Christmas would simply be to get tired of being in charge of me. And to take our crown and for the first time set it down so that his could be lifted up. Here's what I want us to do. I want us, I want us to have an opportunity to take the king who came 2,000 years ago and crown him king tonight in your life. And so I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes together. And I want to start with those in the room first who would say, hey, Lynn, I know I'm a Christian. I know I've made a profession of faith. I know I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. That's done. But here's what I know equally as well. I'm a wrestler. I have hung on so tight to the crown of my life and I've been living a two king life and I'm tired and I'm done and I am choosing tonight to set my crown down so that his crown can rule over me. And if that's you in this room with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eye closed, I'm going to ask you to declare that quietly by just slipping your hand up and saying, Lynn, that's me. I need to lay my crown down so that his crown can be over me. Okay, I see those hands. Anybody else? All over this room, hands are going up. See, that's, that's what we were supposed to do, right? I'm going to lay my crown down because the king came and he needs to be my king. If you just raise your hand, then I'm going to pray a real simple prayer right now that you can pray with me. And it would go something like this. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, you are my Savior. You just haven't been my King. And I've been clutching to the control of my life. I've, I've been hanging on to my own crown. And here's what I've figured out. It's not good for me to be in charge of me. And so I am taking my crown. I'm laying it down so that you can wear yours in my life. This I pray in Jesus' name. There are some of us in this room and you've never made a decision for Christ. You've you've been hesitant all along to come because you knew... You knew if you ever became a Christian, he was going to want to be Lord next. And yet tonight, you're at a moment where you say, I get it. All of my effort, everything that I've been doing, everything I've done to keep God at bay has actually been to my heart. And I'm just ready. I'm ready to give up the crown. I'm ready for him to be king in my life. And if you're ready for a savior tonight, then you could pray this prayer and I'll pray it real quietly and you can pray it quietly in your seat right now. That prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I've been terrified to give up my crown. I've been waiting. And the truth is I've waited longer than I ever should have. And tonight, I'm declaring out loud, me being in charge of me is not good for me or for anybody else in my life. So I'm asking you to be my Savior, to be my King. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the strength to live for you the rest of the days of my life. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed either of those prayers, in the seat back right in front of you, there's a card that looks just like this. It says, yes to God. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're a Christian who just said, hey, you know what? I've been wrestling with God and today I'm going to give my life to God. We call that rededicating your life. And so I'm going to ask you to fill out the card. It's real short. And just mark that box as I'm rededicating my life to Jesus tonight. I'm going to let my king be king. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know what? This this is the first time that I've actually prayed the prayer. This is the first time that I said, hey, you know what? I want to be a Christian and I want Jesus to be my Savior. Then fill the card out and just mark on there, I was accepting Jesus as my Savior tonight. That's what I did. And in a few moments, don't get up right now because we've got some cool stuff getting ready to happen. But in a few moments when you get ready to leave, if you look at every exit, there's a table and the table says yes on it. And I'm going to encourage you to take that little card, lay it on the table. Wouldn't that be a really powerful picture of laying down your crown? And you lay it on the table and you say, "Hey God there, I left my crown at Christmas Eve service <laughs> on the 23rd. A king has come is a year king.